come in this place and praise your name because of how you love us but because of who you are for what you've done for us and for what you we know you'll do God we praise your name in this place because through the hardest times of our life we lean on you and the best times of our life we know that it comes from you God we love you and we're thankful for the way we can the way we can lean on you, the way that we can put our trust in you, God. So we thank you for your love. We thank you for your vastness and yet your intimacy with us, God. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.
is the waterfall anniversary. I don't know, but that's that's exciting. Uh, I'm happy for them. I know they're having a, a great time up there. I know he's thinking about you guys, though, because that's just how he is. This is his family. You guys are his family. But today we have Pastor Luke coming to share. It's going to be so good, um, and uh, I'm excited for you to hear what God has, has given him. Uh, I believe that you're going to leave challenged and encouraged and changed as we encounter God together. So there's a few things I want to make sure that we are all on the same page about coming up uh, really soon. So this Friday, we are having a guys game night here. So uh, cornhole, ladder golf, board games, it's going to be awesome. So fellas, bring your competition. It's going to be good. We want to know if you're coming. So in the, at the Welcome Center in the lobby, there is a sign up. Just look for a guy who looks like he could give you some competition in cornhole. Um, and just tell him, hey, I'm going to come and I'm going to, I'm going to win. And uh, it'll be awesome. So we're going to have a good time, guys. Just come hang out together uh, and uh, we'll see who is, you know, the best. That's what we're all, you know, trying to figure out. So it's going to be a ton of fun. Um, then that's this Friday on this Sunday, one week from today, we have the church picnic. So it's going to be awesome. If you've already signed up, that's that's great. Um, but I want to invite uh, Cindy Loudon up here really quickly. She has been in the lobby um, getting information. I want you guys to hear from her exactly what we need. Thank you. Good morning. Um, about 12 seconds before the 930 service, Luke and Eric asked me to get up here and talk. And I, and I come up and gave information except the day of the picnic, the place, the time. So I'm going to start off with that next Sunday at Palmer Park. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with Palmer Park, it is between Monongahela and Donora, right on 837. Um, it's easy to find. But anyway, we have uh, food signups in the lobby. We had several from the 930 service, so I'm expecting you people to show them up and come and sign up. Um, we also have sign-up online, but I have a sheet out in the lobby if you're unable to do it online just to let us know that you're coming so we can get a final count this week and know how many are coming. Uh, we look forward to seeing everyone. There's going to be a DJ and a balloon artist, so bring the kids and uh, have a good time. Yes. Awesome. Thank you, Cindy. 
Yeah, it's going to be awesome next week. I'm excited uh, to uh, to come and hang out with all of you because uh, I'm sure you're all going to be there. And then um, the, the last thing is on August, coming up on August the 18th. Uh, let's see if I remember that. I did. We have our next steps meeting. So if you have been coming to Crossroads for a few weeks and you want to learn a little bit more about what what goes on here, what makes us tick as a church, how, how you can get plugged in, what's your next step? Well, we have a meeting called Next Steps um, because we're creative. And so we would love to have you come uh, to that. It's free lunch, free child care, and just get a little bit more information um, about how you can uh, become a part of what God is doing here. We'd love to see uh, many faces there. Uh, as the ushers prepare uh, to receive our tithes and offerings, I wanted to, to share something. Um, how do you guys have a, a, a Bible app or something that gives you a verse of the day? Anybody have anything like that? I love those things because I love being able to wake up in the morning and, and there's a verse waiting for me because I need it first thing in the morning. I don't know about you guys, but I sure do. Um, recently, there was a verse that popped up. And the first time I read it, I thought, oh, well, that's neat. That's a good, happy verse. I just kind of went on with the day. But then I began to think about it more and more. I want to read it to you real quick. It's Psalm 32, verse 8. And it says, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. And if, as I thought about it, I was like, man, I, I, want, I want to have a life that that matters. I want to have a life that, that impacts people. I want to have a life that's healthy and that I have healthy relationships and, and, and that God uses. And, and the way to do that is not for me to create my own path and do things my own way. God says that he will guide us down the best pathway. And that's the kind of pathway that I want to be on. I imagine the same thing for you guys, being on the best pathway for your life. It says, I will advise you and watch over you. And so uh, as I thought about this and just uh, to, to share what I believe God showed me was that what we need, if we want to have the, the best possible life that only God can give, we have to be refreshing ourselves every day in the word. We have to be spending time with him praying. He, he gave us his love letter, his, his, his thoughts and his hearts are in his, his word that we have. So let's make sure that we spend time with that, hiding his word in our hearts so that, that he will advise us, he will lead us down the best path for our life. And so as we, as we receive our tithes and offerings now, let's, let's give with that attitude of surrender and thankfulness, uh, believing that he can do far more uh, with what he has already given us than we could do ourselves. So let's pray together. God, we, we lift you up this morning and we thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign, that you are in control, that you are good. Lord, thank you that when we look to you, when we cling to you, you will guide us, you will advise us, you will lead us down the best life possible, the best path possible, an abundant life, the only kind of life worth living is a life focused on you. So I pray that you would help us, Lord Jesus. Even this morning, prepare our hearts to hear from you. We pray, Lord, you would receive these tithes and offerings, that you would use it to expand your kingdom, to help many people across this area and beyond to, to, to learn about you and how much you love them. Lord, I lift up Pastor Luke to you right now. I pray that you would fill him with, with a boldness and a confidence that can only come from you. Please take away any sort of nerves or anything that, uh, that may be uh, coming. But God, I pray that you would be the voice that's heard Thank you for the giftings that you've given him. And I pray that we would all leave changed and a little more like you this morning. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Bean? No, ah, ah. no, 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 no. That's impossible. Can't be out of food. What? Where's my personal reserve of moose juice and goose juice? My emergency stash of hoo hash? And my secret slew of frozen basil nut stew? I specifically bought enough food to last until January. How much emotional eating have I been doing? No, I won't. I will not. I am not going to Whoville during... Christmas! Fine. But I'm going to despise every second of it. Come on, man. So, uh, Merry Christmas in July... Um, if you uh, did not know that the, our culture celebrates Christmas in July, um, it's probably because you don't have the Hallmark Channel at your house. So, um, yeah, come on. I had a lot more laughs last hour. I felt more comfortable. Thank you. No, my, uh, yeah, thanks, Eric. Um, speaking of Eric, didn't Eric do a phenomenal job last weekend? We just thank God for Eric. I mean, I definitely, like, was you know, sitting there like, you know, that you hear that, that theme of that song, and you just, you know, you, you want to just jump in. It's, it's, it was really, really phenomenal. Thanks, Eric. Really appreciate last week. It was great. Um, you know, this series has been fun because we take modern parables as a springboard to talk about the depth and power change that we, the changing power of Jesus that we read about in his word. And this, this, this movie cracks me up. You know, it's about this angry, frustrated, green thing called the Grinch who doesn't like Christmas. He wants want nothing to do with it. And anything, anyone who celebrates it, it's like nails on a chalkboard to him. And he just wants it to be done. He wants to be rid of it. He's grumpy. He's isolated. He's hurting. And when I took my boys to see this movie last year, last right before Christmas, um, you know, we, we uh, went to Waterfront, which is one of our favorite places to go see movies. And as a parent... You know, life changes. You go from t- going to see movies on Friday night, your parents drop you off, and it's like, hey, can you actually drop us off around the corner so people don't actually see you? So, you know, because there's a cool factor. My seven-year-old, he's like, he's asking us. The other day, he goes, you going out of the house like that? Is that what you're wearing? I'm like, Come on. I thought it was not for a couple more years, you know. But uh, he's like, Dad, I mean, Adidas, the shoes, that's everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, I, and I'm cracking up, but I'm taking my boys to see this movie. We sit down. I can't see my three-year-old because he's got this vat of popcorn sitting on his lap. I just see this little hand come over top of the popcorn. 
and you know we watched that movie and i'm not uh, i'm not a crier i might i might be sensitive or emotional but i'm not a crier and at the end of that movie i just could not get some images out of my head in fact there are two people that i called on the way home one was my wife to let her know we were on our way home and the second one was ken i said ken you've got to see this movie and he's like it's grinch He's like, everybody's seen it. He's like, what's the matter with you? You know, and I'm like, no, no, no. Like, you gotta, you gotta see it. And I'm like, this movie is a, is a, it's a, it's a little bit of a creative uh, rendition of the same story, but there's something so powerful that happens. There's such a parallel to the story of Paul. There's such a parallel to the story of Paul, as well as another story we read about in the life transformation of Paul about the story of Ananias. So there's two things that I want to talk about this morning, and, and again, I, I am um, humbled to be here. I love that this is an opportunity that gets to be in my schedule this week of just being able to impart the power and life change of his holy word. And so it's just such a privilege to be here with you this morning to share. And so um, the first thing I want to say is just to kind of back up a little bit. Let's all get on the same playing field. So when we are without Jesus, when before Christ, without Jesus, we're on the journey of me. We're on the journey of trying to figure out what's our purpose in this world. We're searching for hope. We're searching for meaning, searching for something greater, you know, punching the clock, waking up, going to sleep, having fun, fighting boredom. And at the, at the core of our existence, it's happiness, it's success, it's, it's me. You know, it's me. It's like, how can I help me? How can I help the cause of Luke? How can I help the cause of me? But there's something happens when we meet Jesus. There's something happens with our lives. When we meet Jesus, our lives change forever. And so when the journey starts and stops with me, it's always going to fail. When the journey starts and stops with me, human hands reaching for more human success, for more human power, for more human anything, it's going to fail. It's going to fail. There's going to be a void. There's going to be a hole. But when we meet Jesus, our lives are changed. And so we're going to read about the story of Paul, who at the time we're going to read about him is actually his name is Saul. So he actually goes through such a life transformation that he becomes, he has one name, and then later on, four chapters later in Acts 13, he gets a new name. And so turn with me to Acts 9, and that's where we're going to be for the first several minutes this morning. And as we read through this, I want you to start to jot in your head who, who is Paul like? What is he like? How does God intervene in his life? How am I like Paul to some degree? Or you can be asking questions like, why this and why not that? I mean, that's the power of Scripture. We're supposed to be asking questions and asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate it, to, to, to move us in the direction, to look at Scripture's questions and answer it with Scripture. It's hard when we look at life's, answer, life's questions and we answer it with more of what we find in the world or what we find from within instead of going to Scripture to answer Scripture's questions. You know. So anyway, Acts 9 and verse 1, just to start to build this understanding of Paul at this time, Saul. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues who belonged to the way, the way was what they coined the early move of Christianity. So before they called themselves Christians or referred to as Christians, they were called the way. So that was the, just the understanding of that was the movement, the early movement of Christianity, because Acts was the beginning of that. And so we're not too far into Acts here, so we're seeing the beginning movements of Christianity. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. So he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Right here we get an understanding of Paul, Saul, at this time. We get a picture of Saul. You know, he is a murderer. He is, he is, you know, he is going to persecute Christians. He's going to destroy their lives. Not only is he going to do that, but, I mean, he's building his power. He's building his authority. He's going with letters from the high priest. So he's got government involvement to say, look, I want to be sanctioned to go do what I'm about to do. I want the authority. I want more power, more authority, more, more more. And here he goes on his path. And what I love here is not only do you see a man who is on path to do what he feels like he needs to do, righteous in his own understanding and his desires, thinking I'm good at what I'm doing. I am going to do this. And then here Paul's plans meet Jesus, or what I like to call the two by four of Jesus. Because not only do you see Paul on his track, but then he just gets smacked, literally gets on the ground because he's blinded. 
right? And I love this picture. Saul's life gets flipped. On his way to persecute Christians uh, with the high priest's help, Jesus collides with his plans. That's our life. We're on our path, on our journey, and here comes Jesus, and it's just this beautiful collision about what we're after and Jesus kicking down the walls of our heart. It's this beautiful collision. It's the only collision that you can consider beautiful. The mess of our lives colliding with the love, life transformation only found in Jesus Christ. What a beautiful collision. Here you see it right here. And so I I just love this passage. And then he gets down to the point where he's saying, okay, he's like, Lord, he's like, who are you? In verse five, Saul asked, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go to the city and you'll be told what you must do. Do you not see a picture of grace? Remember, grace is something that we receive even though we don't deserve it. Grace is something we receive, but we don't deserve it. Where does Saul get grace? God doesn't destroy him. He says, you're persecuting me. You are destroying these people. You are persecuting me. And then he says, go, I'm going to send you to the city. So like, not only does he not destroy him, but he gives him a plan. He flips his life upside down. He drops into his knees. He humbles him. He doesn't destroy. He humbles. He doesn't destroy. He humbles. And he gives him a plan. He demonstrated his authority and power. Listen, how cool is this? A very authoritative man being Saul, power-hungry, power-filled, feared. You know, he inflicts fear onto those people that he interacts with and those people that know him. And how does God kick down the wall of his heart? Brings him to his knees, demonstrating his authority, his power. I love this image. He speaks our language. That's, God knows the wall that's in front of our heart. He knows how to get to us. He knows how to kick it down. He speaks our language. He meets us where we are. And so in verse 7, we move on. It says, The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but didn't see anyone. Saul gets up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see anything. So they laid him, they led him by the hand into Damascus. And then in verse 9, for three days, isn't this interesting? For three days he was blind, did not eat or drink anything for three days. Confused, probably scared, he's led into the city by his speechless companion. Saul is blind, does not eat or drink for three days. Brought to the bottom, God just humbles him as we see our need for him. I, I am, um, when I read this, I see lives changed all over this place. So many of you, I've had the privilege of hearing your story. And, and, and every story is not the same, but what God does is the same. He takes a dead man, a dead woman walking, and makes him or her alive. And here you see Jesus colliding with Paul, flipping his life upside down. And he just humbles him. You know what? He humbles Saul to the point where he says, I'm on my knees. God, I need you. I need you. Doesn't destroy him, but he humbles him. He brings him down to the point where he has come to the very last point of himself. God, I need you. I remember where I was. I remember the conversation I had with my mom on the phone. I remember the song I was listening to. I remember the weather outside. I remember the friend who came into my dorm room after I had this conversation with my mom. I remember everything. I was sitting on that broken, dilapidated wooden chair they give you in college to sit on in my dorm room. I remember every single thing because that was the moment where God got to me and he said, would you please stop trying to earn my love? I was trying to do more, trying to do this, trying to be the better this. And then finally I got to the point where God just kicked the wall of my heart down. And he said, would you please rest in the fact that it is not by human hands can you climb farther, faster, harder to get to me. But it is because of Jesus' finished work on the cross that you can understand that I love you. You cannot earn that. And that was the most life-changing moment of my life. That was the two-by-four. That was the two-by-four where God just knocked down this wall of my heart, and I just went, oh, my goodness. Wow. And I understood at that point the void and the hole that I needed for Jesus. Paul needed an intervention just like I needed an intervention. God intervened in his life and saved him, broke him down in a way that made sense to Paul. Yep, that's what God does. See, some of us, he literally has to take the two by four, flip us upside down, bring us to our knees, and we go, oh my goodness, I'm down to the very last square inch of me, my hands, my success, my results. And now I go, holy smokes. Okay. 
God, I need you. Some of us, God speaks in different ways, but the point here is that Jesus is the only answer to our hurt, our pain, our searching. Nothing can fill that hole. The initial attention getter of how God gets a hold of us may look different, but Jesus' call to us is still the same. So look in verse 10. We're going to continue on. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord. He answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So immediately, we get this picture from God about how he is going to redeem Paul. He employs a follower of the very people that Paul is persecuting to save him. How humbling to a a power-hungry, authoritative man. I'm going to bring you to your knees. I'm not only going to blind you, but I'm going to use the people that you're persecuting. I'm going to work through them for your redemption. I'm going to work through those people, the very people you're persecuting. Here in 13, it says, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to, to, to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. God gives Ananias the solid order to, Paul, or to find Saul. He's like, go to this house and find this murderer. Not only do you want me to like go into town, but you want me to find this guy who all I hear about is that he kills people, that he jails Christians. Oh man, like why? Like why me? Why? Ananias at that point, he's getting a glimpse of how God is starting to work in Paul's life. What a privilege to see God at work in someone else's life. And here he starts to get this glimpse of God's plan for Paul. In verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me to you so that you may see and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The joy of being a part of someone else's life when they come to Christ is one of the most incredible things. Because you literally see somebody who was dead who now becomes alive. You literally see the lights go on in someone's life. People, there are, there are so many stories. I remember Christmas Eve, a lady walked out there into the lobby during one of the Christ, in between one of the Christmas Eve services, and I remember where she was standing. It was right over there by the coffee, and she just said, she just looked at me. She just looked like this, and I walked over, and I said, ma'am, are you okay? And she said, God just loves me. He just loves me. I have this, and she's like rattling off this whole thing, and, she, and I'm like, yeah, he does. And she just stood there. And I just watched as she wrestled with this truth that God loves her. And it just blew her mind. And I'm telling you, when you could be a part of someone's life, when they receive Jesus, when they accept Christ, and they say yes to Jesus, oh, my goodness. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. But Ananias gets this opportunity to be a part of someone's life. You know what's so crazy? Why is it, why is it crazy and amazing to watch somebody else's life be humbled? Why? Because it's God, the holy God of the universe, literally taking a dead person and making them alive. And so let's read in verse 18. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. God had to help, had to blind Paul to get his attention. He had to blind Saul. But when Paul surrenders his life to Jesus, literally, isn't that cool how God even gives us the image of just scales falling off of his eyes? And he now sees because he is new. And so I'm telling you that, 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 Reading that, knowing our lives, knowing our situation, the journey of me, human hands producing human results, no life change will occur. No answer will fulfill that question of searching, of, of why does my hurt this, or oh, why does this. No one, nothing, one thing can fill that hole except for Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only answer, day in and day out. And when you accept Christ, when you believe in Jesus, just like Paul, your life gets flipped. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Jesus is the only answer to a dead man walking. Jesus is the only one that can take a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. Take a chief sinner like Saul, flip his life upside down, and then make him a chief missionary who ends up writing majority of the letters in the New Testament who have impacted the world. Paul, someone texted me early on and said, Paul, Paul, ex, Paul is everything, explains everything true about God. 
that God can use anybody, that can save anybody. A hundred percent. And I love, love, love that. Uh, to take a sinner like you and I and give us purpose, meaning hope, Jesus is the only answer. But sometimes we need to get stopped in our tracks to understand that the void we have in our lives for Christ. So, much like Saul, the Grinch has this life-altering moment. So the townsfolk come together. They're, they're, they're all decorating their Christmas ornaments, and they're setting up this Christmas tree, and they're going to light up this Christmas tree, and it's this huge you know, town gathering, this community thing. And then here comes the Grinch to try to destroy this so that he can have peace, trying to find answers for his own solutions, trying to have answers for his own hurt, trying to have answers for something in his life that he cannot fill, describe, understand, articulate. And here he tries to destroy the very thing that he thinks is going to bring him peace. So here he tries to literally, in the movie, launch this gigantic snowball at the people to destroy this, this Christmas tree lighting ceremony. And something happens where his life is altered in a very deep way. Watch this clip. He walked through the crowd and the sound and the lights and his ears heard the thump of their joy and delight and it took him right back to his earliest years to that lost lonely boy who cried all of those tears that lost lonely boy isolated and sad with no home of his own no mom no dad And as the Grinch looked around, he felt downright scared. As he remembered that Christmas where nobody cared. Where nobody showed, not even a flea. And there were no cards, no gifts, and no tree. And as he watched other kids, one thing became clear that this was the single worst day of the year. And now here it was, that day once again, and he felt all those feelings he felt way back when, when he'd watch who's young and old all sit down to feast, and they'd feast, and they'd feast, and they'd feast, 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 feast. They'd feast on who pudding and rare who roast beast which is something the Grinch could not stand in the least. And then they'd do something he liked least of all. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, would stand close together with Christmas bells ringing. They'd stand hand in hand and the who's would start singing. And they'll sing, 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 sing. Yes, he couldn't recall without feeling the sting. So the Grinch finally declared, I must stop this whole thing. So he he is he is continuing to hurt, and I believe hurt people hurt people. When he is driven by his hurt and he cannot find solace and peace from his own hurt, he decides to take out the thing that he believes is causing the pain, causing the hurt. And I believe hurt people hurt people. His past, his pain of the past has driven him to go after the very thing he feels will bring him peace. Like like Saul, the Grinch has a motive to destroy and hurt people. But what happens here with the Grinch, I believe, gives us a very powerful understanding, a little bit of, of, of the human heart. Jeremiah seventeen nine says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Who can possibly understand why we do what we do? Why we do the things we do? I mean, I, I, you read about Paul. Paul is the champion who's like, I don't even know sometimes why I do the things that I do. I don't want to do the things that I do. Help me not to do the things that I don't, do, that I don't want to do. 
And you're like, you, you read the turmoil and the wrestle, and, and that, that is the pain and the hurt we go through is, is trying to understand. I mean, think about it. If the, if the world projects and, pre- and preaches us to a sermon constantly through media, social media, through movies, through TV, through our, even our own rhetoric that we, we hear from each other, follow your heart straight off a cliff. I mean, your heart, your heart is going to lead you in the direction that it only understands. It's the direction of me. The direction of what is going to fulfill me. And so the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Man can't, but God does. Therefore, Jesus came. Why would God give such a horrible person like Saul a second chance? Why would God give such an incredibly murderous person like Saul a mission to become chief sinner to chief missionary? so that God's mercy and love are on display. Not so that we are on display. 1 Timothy 1.16, which is Paul, he goes, but for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. After we give our lives to Jesus, there's still going to be the pull of our sinful nature. And that sinful nature is about one goal, self-gain. I can do it, my hands, my life, my gain. But God has a different plan. You know, I was in my garage not too long ago when we first moved into our house. And, you know, after, like, everything gets into your house, do you ever ever go, like, oh, I never knew I had that? You know, I'm, like, looking. And, of course, my kids treat their toys like that. We put it in a box for a week, and then we move it, and then we bring it out, and they're, like, it's like Christmas all over again. They're like in the borderline of tears, opening up these toys. And I'm like, never mind. You know, it's one of those things you just let it go. But I remember walking into this and looking at this, this, this um, barrel that I wanted to use as a garbage can. And I look inside and there is this, in the bottom, there's this, there's this wrench. It is pulled and, and, and rust and dilapidated and disgusting. And I literally thought the other night when I was, when I was going through my sermon notes, I'm like, oh my goodness, that's us. We are nothing more than a broken dilapidated, rusty wrench sitting at the bottom of a barrel. But God has a different plan for our lives. For God does not see a broken, dilapidated, rusty, disgusting wrench at the bottom of a barrel. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. And when we believe in Jesus and we accept Christ and we accept this free gift, now what happens is we are changed. We have to come to terms with our own hole, with the own void that we have for Christ. And when we do that, we just say, Jesus, yes, I need you. We're humbled. I am nothing more on my best day than a broken, dilapidated, rust-filled wrench sitting at the bottom of a barrel. I am, that is my best day. And God goes, there's more. Here's Paul. I am the worst sinner. Look at what God did for me, not so that I would be on display, but then what does Timothy say? What does he say to Timothy? He's like, Timothy, it's not because I was on display, but it's because God's mercy and love are on display that he would save someone like me. So here we go on. So a life changed, a changed life changes lives. And so we're going to watch the second clip here, and we know the story. So he steals Christmas, and then the town is destroyed, except he thinks finally, once and for all, have peace, and then often hears in the distance and hears the singing. He hears the townsfolk gathering because there's a greater purpose. There's a greater reason for their joy. Sound familiar? And then his heart grows three sizes bigger. You know the story. He goes back to his mountain. He's sitting in his, sitting in his, in his mountain on his chair. And here comes the door knock. He goes to the door, opens the door. Here's little Cindy Lou who is saying, would you please come to dinner at my house? And he's like, why? I just destroyed your Christmas. And he said, she goes, yeah, I know but you've been alone long enough. And she invites the very person who destroyed her Christmas. But there's something beyond that. There's something beyond the materialistic, the the, the world-given things. There's something beyond that. And she has enough because of something that's beyond that. The movie doesn't talk about it, but I'm going to tell you about it. There's something beyond that, and that's Christ. That's Jesus. Because we've been changed, we can change lives. A changed life changes lives. So she invites him to dinner, and I want you to watch this clip. Okay. Mm. Um, this is a bad idea. 
I, I, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this. They're all gonna hate me. All right. I did it. Mr. Grinch, I'm so happy you decided to come. Welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I, I wore a tie. And it's a very nice tie. Cindy Lowe, look who came. Mr. Grinch, you're here. Uh, hello. Come on in. I'll show you around. Oh, okay. Hello, Mr. Grinch. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, too. Aunt Ida, I'd like you to meet my friend, the Grinch. Oh, it's nice to meet you, Mr. Grinch. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Oh, here, let me take that for you. Oh, thank you. Cindy Lou, could you make a little room for this? No, don't worry, I I've got it. Huh, isn't that thoughtful? Good to see you. Come on, Grinchy, give me a hug. Oh. <laughs> it don't count if you don't hug back, buddy. Okay, come take your seats, everyone. Dinner's ready. Come on, you're sitting next to me. <laughs> Here you go. Mr. Grinch? Oh. Uh, okay. Do you mind if I say something first? Not at all. Um, well, everybody, I, I just want to say I've spent my entire life hating Christmas and everything about it. But now I see that it wasn't Christmas I hated. It was being alone. I'm not alone anymore. And I have all of you to thank for it. But especially this little girl right here. Ma'am, your daughter's kindness changed my life. That's my girl. Oh, that was beautiful. That's my best friend. Merry Christmas, Mr. Grinch. Merry Christmas, Cindy Lou. And the Grinch raised his glass and led the Who's in a toast. To kindness and love, the things we need most. Yeah! You know, when he, when he got to the end, I just now started, I almost like had the Freudian slip when he said, you know, I spent my whole life, and did anybody insert Christians? Like, anybody just vision, can, no, 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 but I'm serious. Like, you see Paul sitting at the end of that table, gathering now with his brothers and sisters under the banner of Christ. He's like, I spent my whole life, but really it was this. I was in it for self-gain. And they welcome him in. And I love that he leans over to, to Cindy Lou, who's like, what do I do? I'm new here. I'm like, that's, that's what, those are people coming into the body of Christ for the first time. It's like, I'm new. Like, what do I do? And we get the opportunity to welcome them into this family of God. We get this incredible opportunity here. And so he says something at the end. He says, you know, to kindness and love, those things are so incredible. But I see so faint of an imagery of something so powerful here, imagery of a group of people who have been changed who now welcome somebody who has hurt them to the table. How could one truly take a small step forward to possibly forgive somebody who has just done hurting them? There's no such power on earth that it can empower somebody to truly forgive that power only comes from Jesus Christ. Not by my or any human hands is there a power within to affect someone so much that their life is actually changed. I will never forget seeing in the lobby about a month ago, a month and a half ago, we pray with our Saturday night team and we're praying and this one woman, she's praying and it gets to her and she says something so simple. She said, Jesus, would we, would we um, see people's lives affected by you as we have been? And, I, and, she, and she prayed, and I thought, oh, my goodness. 
Like, that's it. Like, that's what we want to see people's lives be affected by Jesus Christ. Not by our hands, because we're nothing more than the broken, dilapidated, disgusting wrench sitting at the bottom of the barrel, resting. And God picks us up, and because of Jesus Christ, he doesn't see the fact that we are rested. We have our past. We have the destruction. We have the pain, the hurt, the searching. And he flips our lives and makes us new. To be change because of what? Our hands? Absolutely not. Listen to Paul saying in Colossians 1.27, To them he has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This has nothing to do with me. The world needs more followers of Jesus Christ who are willing to raise up humble hands rather than ask what's in it for me. Ananias, at the second part of that passage in Acts 9, he, it says, Then Ananias, in verse 17, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. After this, we see Paul's, or Saul's scales fall from his eyes. You know who scales also fell from his eyes? Ananias. Because he raised up willing, humble hands and said, God, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Because I've been changed. A changed life changes lives. Sometimes we don't want to do what God has asked us to do, but we should do it, not because of there's a legalistic heart driving us, but because we're sitting under the authority of God and we're on mission. We're the chief sinner who's now become a chief missionary. Our message is to take this message of life change and be love in the hardest places with the toughest people. And when I think about being on mission, I think, man, I've been sent by God to be on mission. I go not with more human hands to produce more human results, but I go with Christ in me. Amen. I go with Christ in me, the hope of glory. What does Paul say back in Timothy? He said, so that God's mercy and love would be on display. Not that Luke's great works would be on display, but that my mercy, that my love would be on display. And I don't know about you, but that that ignites me to go change the world because I just have to show up with willing, humble hands, even when I don't feel like it. And God's going to work because it's Christ in me, not anything that I can do by my own human hands. And so as we close, I want to encourage you. We can all identify with the Grinch. At one point in our lives, we were on the journey of me. We did not have that relationship with Jesus. We have not surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. We sought self-gain because that's all we knew. But then Jesus found us and offers us life, offered us life, offered us life and changes us, flips our lives upside down and makes us brand new. The old is gone. The new has come. We are the chief sinner. No longer we are now the chief missionary. We are now going into our businesses, going into all the circles that we find ourselves now with the hope of Christ in us, not more hands to produce more human results. I don't know about you, but on my best day, I am nothing more than the dirty, disgusting, dilapidated, rusty wrench sitting at the bottom of the barrel. And God picks me up 